your, you know, give it a, yeah. <laughs> Shady nailed it, man. This is so good. All right, we'll do it. I mean, we're dating ourselves a little bit with this. How can you not love this? How can you um, not love this? Are we rolling? Yeah, we're rolling. Like, it's like... Oh, man. So uh, we got us here a podcast episode. What is this? 37. Zero, three, seven. Yeah. Zero, three, seven. Um, I, we, <laughs> we thought about this song because I was saying, Lamont, you big dummy. Referring to yourself. Yes, I was. Yes. And, and my clients. Well, Lamont, you big dummy. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we got, uh, we got Preston True here. Uh, Preston True is... A super fine business coach, and uh, I have been looking forward to talking to you in this setting for a while. And here we are, kind of a dream come true. So, uh, and we were literally just goofing around talking about music, and up came Quincy Jones' uh, theme to uh, Sanford and Son. Little 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 side story uh, where I lived in L.A. Uh, in the '90s, early '90s. My wife and I moved to L.A. to be uh, caretakers, help plant a church, and do some other stuff, and get into the music industry. That was part of the part of the goal. And we got this job as live-in caretakers in uh, San Fernando Valley in Chatsworth, which is I don't know, kind of up at the top of the, whatever. Anyway, uh, our neighbor, our neighbor's house was Red Fox's house uh, from Sanford and Son, right? Red Fox, the actor. So he didn't live there. No, he had, he he had, had bought it. Yeah, he had bought it and then died, and the IRS took it because he okay. owed a bunch of money. Ugh. And the guy who bought it was this guy, Hulk Hogan. Uh, <laughs> yeah. some, Just some, some guy random, named Some Hulk. random guy. Yeah, yeah. and then his uh, he was married to the lady's parents next door on the other side. Uh, and... She had a twin sister who was married to Lou Ferrigno. Uh, and so everyone, at least, as far as I remember, if I'm putting this together right, and every once in a while, Lou Ferrigno and Hulk Hogan would ride their Harleys because it was a gated community. It was a right, guarded, right. gated, you know, whatever. There's about 30 houses in there around this lake. It was a ranch style. We had seven or eight acres uh, that I, I didn't, I wasn't a caretaker of that. I, I took care of the house and the horse. And the dogs and stuff. Okay. Yeah. And just live there uh, to keep, you know, the riffraff out. Like Hulk. Oh, wait a second. You like were Hulk and, and Lou. I'm like, you guys need to get out of here or I'm going to kick your butt. <laughs> no. Were, were you looking straight up? Yeah, right. Oh, my gosh. It was so funny. And Hulk, uh, Hulk Hogan would wear his gear. Like, he had his, the big, you know, the Hulk, thing. Hulk? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Just wear that was, around town? Yeah. Well, at least around the... Around the circle. <laughs> I, I mean, know. if you got it, you might as well yeah, flaunt yeah, it. Right. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that was L.A. L.A. was super weird. We were there during the riots and various odds and ends. <laughs> so that's that's crazy. He man, he's almost seven feet tall. He's a big guy. I mean, I remember yeah. like get, getting out like back when we used to use cabs. Yeah, getting out at, at O'Hare Airport. Yeah, and like a, late and running out of the cab and literally bam face up against this chest and i look up mm. blonde oh man goatee, yeah. long blonde hair you know a a six head not a forehead a six yeah. head and like it's hulk hogan 
<laughs> and like that dude's huge. Wow. Wow. I never like I didn't come face to face with him. I just saw him riding by. But man, that's amazing. Well, there's a and speaking of big time wrestling, there's a really, really cool movie uh about this uh disabled kid, um, kid with, with downs called Peanut Butter Falcon. Oh yeah. Hmm. Just fabulous. Unbelievable. Really? And my son, my youngest, we were talking about our kids earlier. Yeah. Um He's like, Dad, you got to watch this movie. So my fourth kid has um, significant disabilities and kind of live with us forever kind of thing. He's 20-something. and My youngest, my fifth, is like, Dad, you got to watch this Peanut Butter Falcon movie. I'm like, what's it about? It's like, well, it's about this disabled. I'm like, no, not going to do it. I'm going to cry through the whole thing. Right. You know, I just can't. I can't handle it, you know. And he's like, no, 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 you're going to love it. He kept telling me, kept telling me about it. And it's, uh, what's his name, Shia... LaBeouf. LaBeouf? Oh, it's so good. It's so freaking good. Um, I highly recommend it. But there's this big-time wrestling theme that runs through the whole thing, and there's these uh, these two or three, and I don't know anything about big-time wrestling, but these two or three aged actual big-time wrestler guys that play this big part in there. It's so touching. It's really so you really did sweet. you did see it yeah I finally did and now I've seen it like three or four times yeah. and it's it's a it's like a top ten movie for sure it's, that so. uh, Shia LaBeouf is pretty amazing so John Bernthal mm. he's been like the uh, yeah. the Punisher was a Netflix yeah. series yeah yeah he's got a podcast called the Real Ones mm. he does a two hour three hour podcast with Shia LaBeouf. Mm. Shia LaBeouf's story is like we'll probably talk about like it, what, what frustrates people, business owners, entrepreneurs. Like, and thank you by the way for mm-hmm. some more s- speed juice. Um, <laughs> man, uh, for those of you listening, these guys make some really good but strong coffee. Um, <laughs> shout out to Jeremy Radabaugh. Oh, my oh God. yeah, right. Yes. One of our Jeremy, clients. I'm drinking water right now, but cheers. Right, cheers. Yeah, one of our clients sent us that Chemex uh, mm-hmm. thing for Christmas. Yeah, so yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that glass pour over thing. Oh, yes. Yeah. The beaker. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a science experiment. Uh, well, it's a tasty science experiment. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very good. Um, that it, but Shia LaBeouf's just got an amazing story. Mm-hmm. We talk about just like being up against things mm-hmm. and like really reaching into your core of like, who am I? Mm-hmm. What am I doing? What, it, anyway, highly recommend uh, the real ones. Um, Bernthal's podcast mm-hmm. is pretty cool, but that's yeah. pretty cool. He was in, I loved him in uh, The Accountant. He was the one, the the younger brother yeah. or the smaller brother or whatever. What a great, that's one of my top movies too. I love the account. There's like, I mean, we can go, go on and on. For <laughs> so let me ask you. So this is a side note, but this is something I always ask folks. Uh, uh, if we're hanging out for an extended period of time, I'll be like, well, so if you're going to desert island, be stranded, and you could only watch five movies, like you can, there's a playlist, uh, and there's this weird TV that is solar powered or whatever, and it has five movies on it, and that's it. Um, which five movies do you wish were on it? Does it have to be a movie? No, it could be a, a program or a series, yeah. I suppose. Spanish Prisoner would be the first one. 
So I'm not familiar with that. Steve Martin, hmm. right? The jerk. Yeah. He plays. It's a con game movie, and okay. the Spanish prisoner is actually the name of a con game. Okay. I don't remember. Something Campbell is the kind of the uh, the protagonist. Steve Martin plays the antagonist. If I'm getting that those characters correct, Steve Martin plays just an evil, dark character, and it's so like you mean we typecast him mm-hmm. right to be the funny guy. Not at all. That it's a brilliant movie. Mm-hmm. Like tr- anybody try to figure out the who done it part of it. Mm-hmm. Like there's no. I, I mean, please like <laughs> no spoilers. Get, yeah, just like get in touch with us and say like, oh, I mean, we will we will gladly ship off. I don't know, a, what was it? The coffee, the Chemex, right? Um, so that's number one. Uh, number two, I actually just watched the smartest guys in the room about the Enron debacle and like the total caving in and Jeffrey Skilling and Kenneth Lay, like the hubris and like the thing that really resonated for me is, frankly, looking in the mirror and saying like. Where am I being like those idiots? Wow. I mean, and there's a in um, you guys did the uh, the book review recently on grit, mm-hmm. and Angela Duckworth actually talks about that movie, and you know, skilling coming from McKinsey and like the kind of the mentality That's and the right. culture yeah. in an organization like that, and and how it plays out. You know, how deeply ingrained culture can be, number one, but how deeply ingrained that that kind mm-hmm. of like win-at-all-cost culture was, uh, the hubris culture, if you will. Um, that was one. And then probably, I don't have five. I'm a simplifier, mm-hmm. Mark. Yeah. The terminal list. Man, like, it's so, mm-hmm. so great. Like Chris Pratt is one of my all-time favorite dudes. Mm-hmm. And just about, like, for me, that series was like, what's most important? Like if you and the whole concept of mission, which I've been really kind of immersing myself in, is this. I'm still struggling with like the, the distinction, but like there's purpose and then there's cause, but then like mission seems to be this concept that really resonates. Because probably could more because it's it's we're we're headed towards something. We're in action when we're on mission. But that that whole series is this guy on this amazing mission and all the wacky stuff that he needs to confront. By the way, not insinuating that he's the ultimate good guy in that, but just, you know, yeah. a man wrestling with total devastation in his life mm-hmm. and where we might want to strike back and where we temper. I mean, just it's psychologically emotionally culturally like it's a really for me it was a really interesting series hmm. that's cool i've not seen it uh watch the series my recommendation watch the series hmm. read or listen to the book because jack carr in the book he goes into so much detail so it's almost like the series gave me context like a little bit of flavor and then a deep dive into the story in the book. And then I went back and watched the wow. literally binge watched the series again. Mm. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like this is such a brilliant story. That's cool. Yeah. Hmm. Three, not five. Yeah. Sorry. There you go. That's fine. That's fine. What would you watch? Oh man. Um, well, first of all, uh, saving private Ryan is my number one. Mm. Um, I would put, um, 
I would probably put, uh, I loved uh, The Last Samurai. Um, Dude, thanks for the reminder. So that, that would be number four. Okay. My, my son, Henry, is just, he's on this amazing beginning of a career journey in the, in the world of film. Um, that's his all-time favorite. Mm. He, we and I watch, he and I yeah. watched that multiple times. Yeah. Great movie. Sake. I mean, it's just got so much, and I think it's, I think it's fairly historically at least poignant. I don't know if it's an actual true story or based on loosely on a well, true story, but no. Mark, don't don't ever let the truth get in the way of a good story. Good art, right? right? Good story. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So last time I'd be in there. Um, man, Gladiator is just freaking amazing. I love Gladiator. I love the music. Uh, I have lately found myself listening to the soundtrack, like probably in the last mm-hmm. three weeks. I probably listened to it five or six times. It's pretty dramatic walking into the building with that room. Yeah. Right. Of the Gladiator. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's. I need, uh, I need uh, to hang uh, out with you guys and watch movies more, man. You're oh, reminding man. me of all these amazing yeah. things. Yes. Um, man, I love. Uh, well, I'm a big fan of. Oh, I just forgot his name now. The 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 producer of that movie, um, Ripley Scott. Ripley Scott. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, I love I love his his uh, his approach to producing or directing. I guess it would be. Um, I also love. Uh, Ronnie Howard, how he directs. So a bunch of his movies are, well, shoot, and I love Clint Eastwood when he directs. So uh, I, I've watched Gran Torino many times. That's on the list. Million Dollar Baby, uh, many oh, times. Yeah. It's such a great yeah. movie. Where have I, I got to get up from under my rock. <laughs> yeah. Shane, what about yeah. you? You've got uh, to have some. Yeah, I do. What, what do you got? Hmm. Movies? Yeah. yeah. Well, Okay, series movie on the screen. This is really cheesy. Uh, a Christmas Story. Hmm. Classic. <laughs> who who doesn't? I will watch that two or three times a year. Like if what's, I'm having a bad day, I'll just go watch a Christmas Story. What's the kid's name? Um, uh, Bobby, Robbie? No. Uh, oh no, I'm totally drawing a blank. This mm. is terrible. I don't know. All I remember is the Ralphie. 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 One of the gun. Yeah. That's, I mean, well. Just, Classic movie. Fragile. Yeah, Fragile. Must be from Italy. Yes. <laughs> There's so many good lines in that movie. So it's just a, it's a cheesy movie, but it's just, it's like very grounding for me for mm. some reason. Yeah. Well, if you're having a bad day, you watch that, you realize my day still isn't anywhere near as bad as Ralphie's day. Oh, no. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Man. It's so be good sure to drink your Ovaltine. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I love You're watching these uh, where you know the yeah. guy that came up with that. You know that that to kind of put that whole thing together, orchestrate or architect that you know story. Like here's what we're gonna say. Here's how we're gonna say it. Here's what we're gonna come up with afterwards. Here, here's the after effect of you know this. I guess in the writing, I guess where I'm. Well, that's where it started. Uh, Gene Shepard was uh, he he told stories and he was on the radio, hmm. and so a lot of these stories would come out on the radio, and then he wrote them down, and uh, eventually that became the movie. And so they had him on set to make sure it kind of he wanted it to stick pretty close to hmm. his, and he's just a really good storyteller. Well, and it's it's so great because there isn't. What I say like there's nothing out of the ordinary it's like ordinary life 
observed and the challenges and the joys that occur. And it's like, it's, it's so simple in that story, but I think, I don't know anybody who couldn't relate to that. Couldn't relate to Ralphie or, or couldn't relate to, you know, having a kid brother Mm -hmm. like that or having to deal with the, I don't remember the bully's name, but like, it was just simple stuff. Like, oh man, I dealt with that too. Yeah. Great stuff. I would probably take the little rascals, um, as a series, the old, old, like the thirties, forties. The if black and just, white. Yep, uh huh. Loved yep. it. Grew up watching it. The Jackie Gleason. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that? When he was a little kid. He yeah. Like he was, uh, his, he was, uh, was he Dickie or Mickey? Uh, uh, I remember. There was a, he was, yeah, he was, he was one of the kids in there. Um, I loved it. I, I grew up watching Three Stooges. Loved watching them. Classic. I could go back to them over and go over again. <laughs> I would probably take, um, uh, uh, Looney Tunes, too. The older ones. Yeah, just yeah. the, yeah, talking 50s, 60s. Mm-hmm. You just watch them over and over. Natalie always says, like, haven't you seen that like 1,600 times? Yeah, mm-hmm. well, yeah. 1,600and first. Mm-hmm. Still good. It's like spaghetti. Right. <laughs> just give me some more. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it next week, right? You know, Tomorrow. I'm not going to get tired of it. Right. That's my number one meal. My wife's like, mm-hmm. hey, what do you want for spaghetti? Oh, just, well, what about steak? No, I mean, let's do spaghetti. And steak. You know, this I mean, I guess goes with cool, you know, hey, we got this lobster, you know, all right. I mean, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, on second thought. <laughs> I was at the fish market and brought home seven live lobsters. I'm like, oh, great. Yeah, give me the credit card. <laughs> oh, man. So, Preston, you are, uh, when did we first meet? Oh, man. So... I got into this particular like business operating system world in 2014, 2015, kind of officially. Okay. It probably was 2015, 2016. So I came along at that, uh, we're talking EOS worldwide. I think I was 2017. Okay. Well, then I think that's when I remember. Been. Yeah. Yeah. I would have been in it just, you know, a little bit, a little bit yeah. sooner. It's so funny because, uh, um, I remember walking into there going, feeling like this, like a little punk kid, you know, just like, I don't know anything here. All these people are so smart and have all these clients and have all this experience. And I'm just like, well, I can fix doors, <laughs> you know, like, you know. Yeah, but there's an, oh, there's an entrepreneurial team out there that didn't know how to fix a door. That's right. Yeah. Well, so we met in, 17 or 18 or something like that and then uh i think we really started palling around when we jumped into some of my favorite memories of that season was uh the mastermind group that we were part of uh with old greg cleary the one and only the world famous the uh uh you cannot uh duplicate greg cleary they broke the mold uh, when they made Greg Cleary. You know, there's a song I would like to dedicate to to Greg Cleary, uh, and it's called Terry's Song. Now, Greg is not dead. Uh, Springsteen wrote this song for his, one of his great buddies who died named Terry, and it's a great song about, hey, when they made you, they broke the mold. <laughs> there we are, and it was at Utah. Yeah, that was you, man. Yeah. The first, the first yeah. dude. Remember that castle? Oh, man, that was fun. Yeah, that retreat. We went on a retreat with the Mastermind Group to, what was the name of that? Park City? Utah? Uh, Something 
Deer, Deer Valley? I don't know. Around Park City. Yes, was, Utah. So uh, epic, I don't know, three or four days hanging out, talking about business coaching, talking about tools. Of course, Greg Cleary is like the uh, catalyst. I think that's his superpower. He just gets people to do stuff. Seems what do you like? You know what I mean? He drops a little. You drop a little Greg Cleary and stuff, and it and it just takes off. Well, there's that. You meet people who have this just innate ability to connect, like almost look in, like look inside and see the DNA that matches or that can that can work well together. Like he's just really got a gift for that because the at first glance, I remember joining that thinking, man, this is like a really, I don't. It's like a stew. And we just like, like yeah. all the leftovers that were in the fridge, we're going to throw them in. That, that's not a, a judgment or indictment of the folks that were involved, yeah. by the way. <laughs> but, yeah, right. I mean, it's like totally eclectic. Yeah. Like really interesting. And, but it was magical. Yeah. Like really. Like the, Remember the, um, I mean, just the conversations mm-hmm. that we had. Yeah. And like the, the common threads. I remember um, Dan Wallace mm. presenting this... Uh, Big enchilada or the enchilada. The whole enchilada. The whole enchilada. That's right. That's right. And then, like, Megan Aldred would come up and say, yep, here's how I tweak that. And then, like, I mean, just mm-hmm. the the magic in that was phenomenal. And again, I mean, everybody was pitching in, but truly, Cleary's got a way of just saying, like, I think these two people can build something together. Yeah. Yep. Well, so that was, what was that, 20? 2020, 2019 or 20, something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 19. Yep. And then jumping from that straight into the best operating system for a business on the planet. If you were looking for an operating system in a box, all put together, just uh, put together from end to end with the, uh, what, what, is it, what do you call the tool truck? The tool, back that thing up because we got yeah. everything. Pinnacle, the one and only. Uh Category of one. Amen. <laughs> I love it. Such a fun group to be part of. So, and there's a lot of folks just like you and just like me and so forth and lots of different ideas and different approaches and love that group. Well, so that's when we got connected. That's a little bit of our history. But I, what I wanted to ask you, and I want I love poking at other coaches, um, also at business owners and course uh coaches are have a business owning story context history there's a lot going on there but uh at some point you said to yourself you know i should be a business coach Mm. and i'm wondering what that how that happened for you why well like why are you doing this why are you a business coach so it didn't actually great question didn't actually land like I should be a business coach or realization. It was more like, oh man, now what? Hmm. And it was a, I'm going to probably jump around a little bit. I think probably the biggest reason I'm in it was I spent, I think about eight years in business with my dad hmm. in Chicago, a wholesale, a commercial printing company. We'd seen a lot of growth quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think in large part, what's what's a treat is like he and I can actually have this conversation now. When you know it was, it, there, there was a significant amount of stress. 
uh, kind of how it all shook out. But we, we grew quickly. We probably thought we knew better and we got into some product lines and bought up a bunch of territories, made some investments in things that, you know, in hindsight, knowing what I know now, we probably shouldn't have. Um, and it, it, it stressed out the business and it was one of those like, uh Oh, like we're in trouble. Like financially, this thing is, is in a really tenuous place. And I spent a couple of years helping kind of clean it up. We had brought some outside help, a consultant in, and it was really interesting. He's just totally strange dude, but he just simplified things and, and he helped a lot. He brought a lot of accountability, not a whole lot of structure, but some, some, he pointed to, he, sh- he uh, what is, I've heard clearly say this, sometimes um, light is one of the most powerful antiseptics. Mm. And shine the light on a number of things that just weren't working. And it was one of those where, like, oh, my gosh, we got to clean that up. So I, I kind of, you know, in our pinnacle world, called a, a 2IC, second in command. I kind of played that role and just kind of helped clean up. And we all did, but kind of helped clean up things financially, operationally, tried to put some structures and, and systems in place. And, and fortunately, we, like, we, we shored things up. I left the business because um, that was just that, that was a necessary part of for the greater good of the business for me to, to move on. Um, but I, I left there thinking like, I don't want to have other organizations or other teams fall into the same pitfalls or, or deal with the same things. And I, I spent some time in the sales training world. And I, I literally, when I say it didn't, I didn't wake up one day and say, I want to be a business coach. I literally woke up one day and said, now what? It was, I experimented with a lot of different things. People ask me, hey, well, well, what did you do or what qualifies you to be a business coach? Say, so, well, I've probably done everything except dig trenches. Um, I actually haven't operated a CNC machine either. But I mean, the, the point being, like, I've like experimented a ton. I kept coming back to, I just want to help. And for me personally, like, I just want to see entrepreneurs take over the world, like the much bigger mission and purpose, the one that I will never see the the ultimate result of in my lifetime. But if I can help. If I can help entrepreneurs literally drive economy, culture, you make actually make the impact that they truly all want to make. I'm just thinking, like, man, what an amazing world we yeah. would have. Yeah, that's great. I that's a similar uh, similar to me. I mean, I kind of fell into it, but it's just really life giving to see an organization and and from the I would say empathic maybe sim. sympathetic Mm -hmm. side been thinking a little bit about lately about the difference between empathy and sympathy listening to a chris voss uh interview on lex friedman podcast have you Mm. heard of him lex friedman the name haven't heard it so he interviewed him lately and i I don't listen to a ton of his stuff but uh but anyway he's talking about empathy and sympathy and empathy empathy is kind of more from his perspective anyway understanding somebody's situation and sympathy is more like actually feeling what they're feeling. Yeah, uh, I don't have a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, so f- as a business coach, you know, you've been through it. <laughs> Just <laughs> big <sorry>. jerk. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and being able to say, yeah, I know what that feels like. Um, and and so to be driven by man. It sucks to not have a nice, clear organization. It sucks to, to see all the inefficiencies, not for the sake of 
money necessarily, but the lack of money becomes like a central, this big central elephant in the room. You know, if, if, if money's tight, scarce, pinched, stressful, the whole business becomes money centric. Um, but when a business gets really healthy and wholesome and fruitful, there's all this good stuff that comes out of it, you know, and all these lives are impacted and the community's impacted and families, family histories, com community histories, all that sort of thing. And, uh, and I found that the folks that are what I would say are good, are really passionate business coaches have a, have a pretty punchy reason for doing it, you know, cause they've been in something that was, or watched something or their parents had something that, that, you know, just the good stuff got either got really shine, shine the light on, said we need to do more of this good stuff, or they're like, yeah, we didn't have the good stuff, so I'm going to go out there and help somebody get it. Well, and it's so a colleague of ours, Tip Quilter, I've known Tip for, man, 14 years now. We got to get Tip on here, by the way. He lives in Detroit, right? He does. It right. will be a dangerous <laughs> okay. podcast just okay. saying heads up with tip all right i love this we guy. live for danger uh, yeah right <laughs> what do we have to use our bleep button or something <laughs> oh i can't i can't wait oh uh, yeah do, i do like give okay. tip a call and get him here because okay. it'll be right. it'll be a great conversation um we were put together i don't remember who but we were put together to go to a, a coaching conference in montreal and so my first in my indoctrination to tip quilter was a nine-hour car ride from Detroit to wow. Montreal, where we literally spent, and on the way back, so it was either nine to 18 hours of us breaking down Joseph Campbell's hero's journey model. So when you think about for 2,000 years, there's been this story that whose content is different if you go to a variety of places throughout the world but the context or the actual model of the story, the, the path of the story, the characters in the story, it's identical. Hmm. And Campbell didn't invent it. He was just, a, I believe, an um, anthropology professor years ago at either Columbia or New York University. And he just, his family traveled the world and he was a curious cat and just asked questions like, tell me about your culture. Tell me about who you are in, in this world. And, he realized that every, every story that was told, there was a hero. The hero got called to an adventure. And the adventure is either a voluntary, like the phone's ringing, I'm going to pick it up because I'm just not satisfied with my ordinary world right now. Mm -hmm. Or you're shoved into it. Mm -hmm. Either way, you're going on this new adventure. You cross a threshold where you cannot go back to your ordinary world. And at that point you cross the threshold, you enter what's called like, there's a, a period of separation. You're separating yourself from the ordinary world, from the familiar, and you enter this period of, or this stage of initiation where you actually have to go to battle. And, and psychologically, I believe it's how I interpret it is, you have to go to battle with yourself, the demons and dragons that, that you have. But in that transition from call to adventure to initiation or separation, you usually meet a mentor. And a mentor has empathy and experience and some magic and some tools. Hmm. And it's not always a permanent relationship that the hero has with the mentor, but the mentor's job is to say to the hero, I've been there before. Like, we, you know, what, what's the old uh, kind of the, the joke? 
you know, Mark, you're, you're, you're walking along, you fall into this hole and you're like yelling up, Hey, can anybody help, help get me out of here? And, you know, people, I walk by, Oh, sorry, I don't have anything to help you out with. And, and then all of a sudden Shane walks by and he jumps in and you're like, dude, what are you jumping in the hole for? I'm trying to get out. And he goes, Oh, don't worry about it. Like I've been here before. I know the way out. And it's like, that's the role of that mentor is to like jump in the hole with you in that initiation. And then ultimately there's another threshold where you're coming out of the initiation and you get the reward in return where like the reward is you're transformed because you actually went to battle. And then you come back to your ordinary world, a new person, you're smarter, you're stronger, you're faster, you're wiser. And your ordinary world is the ordinary world to others. It's not to you. And that whole reason you went on that journey is to help others see like, there's a call to an adventure for you. And maybe I'm now your guide. So actually maybe I can come back around, Mark, that question you first asked me, like why I'm, you know, how do I, you know, I, it's being, becoming a business coach started with like, now what? But fundamentally like that, that conversation that Tip and I had for 18 hours was just, that was probably the real lever that had me fully commit to this type of work. Cause I was like, man, how cool to be a mentor. Right. And it just happens to look like this. And at the end of the end of the day, it's like, again, entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial leadership teams, they're the heroes and they're up to some really great adventures, but they get jammed up. And, and truly I was sharing with you, you know, before our conversation this morning about, you know, the annual planning session. And these guys are just, they're like, they're lost in so many ways. And they're in a hole. And like, I, it's a treat. I get to jump in there with them. And they look at me cross-eyed sometimes, say the same thing. Like, what are you doing? You're supposed to get out of the hole. It's like, don't worry about it, man. I've been there. Yeah. I, I know I know a way out, not the way out, but I, we have a couple tools to get out of here. Yeah. That's it. That's really, that's one of the things I was going to ask you about is uh, the difference between coaching teaching, um, maybe advising, consulting. That's a, these words get interchanged and maybe there are nuanced differences. Implementer, I think is a, that's, 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 that's the one I like the least actually out of all those personally. Um, so coach, teacher, implementer, consultant, advisor, uh, maybe mentor, mentor is another one. And then guide, um, mentor guide i'm writing these down what do you so draw paint a, draw some lines between those in your mind because clients are asking you future clients are coming i'm like hey are you a consultant or whatever and you've got a you've got to kind of start right there creating some clarity so where are the lines between those like you i'm not a fan of the word implementer i literally had someone say oh you mean you're like a tool like, well, <laughs> have you been talking to my wife? Pretty much. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. Right? That's so funny. <laughs> it's like, literally, the guy said that. And I'm like, I'm definitely. No, not no dude, I'm you're the tool. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, here, I'm here to help you figure that out. I'm not using that title again. No. no. Um, so I keep coming back to mentor, and I don't. I don't, it's not that I have a, a, an allergic reaction to titles, but mm -hmm. I also realize like in this work that and maybe that's just, it helps us organize or understand things to put labels on anything, 
Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, language is really powerful, right? So we've got this beautiful silver mechanism that's like a cylinder and there's an open end and a closed end and there's a, a, a mechanism to hold it so I don't have to wrap my ran my hand around it, but what do we usually call this? We call it a mug. Mm-hmm. Well, if we didn't have the word mug, I don't know if I'd know what to do with that mechanism. Yeah. So the language is really powerful, but it can be used as a as a as a a weapon or a detractor as well. And I think we sometimes get caught in that, get funky about language when we try to put a label on, well, are you a coach? Are you a mentor? Are you an implementer? Are you a facilitator, a teacher? I mean, maybe those are roles. Like rather than a title or something I'd call myself, maybe like those are a variety of roles that I play. And maybe it's if, if there's, we have no clue what the next step is, maybe I need to be a consultant. Just tell you, Shane, go this direction. Other times, maybe I need to be an advisor. Hey, Mark, I've experienced something similar. This is how I kind of worked through that issue and that problem, and I, I found a solution. Other times, a mentor is like just standing alongside you saying, like, I get it. And that's where the empath or empathy or sympathy probably you know really plays in to say, like, I've been there before. Um, and then other coaches, you know, sometimes it's a little bit of like, hey, here's some things you're doing really well, but here's some things that, that could – you could use some improvement, not because you're a bad person or you're failing. It's just like you're doing some things that are getting in the way of the future that you wanted to create. So if I had to put a label, I think I keep coming back to coach. It just, I like the metaphor. I mean, what's a coach do? Mm -hmm. Go back to, there isn't an athlete that earns a living as an athlete that doesn't have at least one, if not multiple coaches. Why would they have them? The athlete's the one doing the work. Yeah. I mean, they're getting paid for the work they do. Why would they have somebody alongside them? And it's somebody to actually be a mirror at times and, and point out, like, what this is what's working and not working. Ultimately, go back to Campbell's hero's journey. We got some tools. We got some magic. We got some experience. We got some empathy. And, mm-hmm. like, if, if I can help you along the way, then that's that's what we, we want to do. So I'm hopefully doing a really good job of answering your question in the most ambiguous way possible. <laughs> yeah, you, you nailed it. <laughs> good job. But ultimately, <laughs> you know, if, if, you for, if you force my hand, I would say mentor. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so is your, what, what would you say um, your role is as a mentor? So the client comes and says, gee, Preston, how much is this? And they're like, wrong question, brother, <laughs> you know, or sister. But uh, what would you say? Hey, my role, here's, here's what I'm going to help you with. Here's what I do. Here's what you do, uh, client. So how would you paint? How would you answer that? So you're at a party, you know, some uh, fellow walks up. Uh, Preston, uh, you're working with a friend of mine, and I've got this $10 million manufacturing business. I have 42 employees. I really, uh, I really want to get my efficiency up, and my profit seems to be really thin. Like, what's your profit? Oh, three percent. Love to get to ten. I can't seem to keep good workers around. And and uh, man, can you help me do something about my business partner? Uh, and you're, you know, standing there listening. And and he goes, and how much would this cost? Right. So he just kind, he's bouncing all over the place. And now you're gonna, 
you're going to land the plane or take it to the next stage, what are you going to say to them? Well, if it has something to do with your business partner, I do usually say, well, I did marry into a Sicilian family, so we could probably... So I do know a guy. <laughs> I know a guy. Yeah, um, you'll owe me. Uh, <laughs> and then it's like, well, what is it going to cost me? And I usually usually say, well, your soul. But um, all, all kidding aside, um, there's... Um, I will ask a few questions usually, but it, again, if, if said, like, just tell me what you do or how you can help, I'll just say, like, I'm going to help you delete chaos, earn more, and fall back in love with your business. Because usually what I find is that whatever those things that you think need to be better, there's something in the way. And it's usually some form of chaos. And it's probably due to your success. I haven't met an unsuccessful business that has chaos. There's only one issue. We're just not successful. And, you know, it's pretty clear, like... Successful companies have a myriad of flavors of chaos that they're constantly prioritizing or reprioritizing and usually misprioritizing. Earning more, you know, the default is money. Okay, that's great. But here's the thing. Like, what, like why'd you get into business for yourself? What about earning more time or earning more freedom or earning deeper relationships right. with the people you work with or your family, even yourself? And then how many Monday mornings or Sunday evenings are just like, oh my gosh, my stomach's a knot. Yeah, yeah. I got to go have that conversation, yeah. you know, with, with, with Megan and it's going to be really uncomfortable. I'm like, well, like those are the things that I help. Like I'm going to help you get rid of that chaos or, or prioritize the things that need to be done so that chaos takes care of itself. Or I'm going to help you earn more capability, time, freedom, relationships. And by the way, if we do that, the money actually ends up following. It's a crazy thing. And then like, what would, what would it be like if Sunday evenings or Monday mornings were your all-time favorite part of the week? You're excited even about the tough stuff that you had to deal with that week. Yeah. And I just, it, there's, there's so much, I mean, maybe I should just tell them, go watch Christmas story. Right. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) It, there's 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 a, a a lot of frustration and misery that's self-imposed, and you know, for me is like I I realized uh, God's given me the gift of simplification mm-hmm. and just dumbing it down. Like yeah. there's also I, I, we could do a whole lot of stuff, but it's like let's put it in a language result. I want more clarity. I want to earn more of a bunch of stuff, and I want to be in love with my business, not hating it. Yeah, that's great. I like that. Um, one of my clients we have as their kind of land of awesome or ultimate destination is we know we're there when Mondays are the new Friday. You know, we're rolling so in. Great. Like, Man, I get to do this again this mm. week. I'm so pumped. Exactly. You know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with Fridays, but what if you felt that way Sunday night? Like, I'm about to get this week underway. I'm so, I'm so excited. I love the people I work with and you know, the things we get done and it's such a, it's such a satisfaction. You know, I think that's part of the, a lot of the business stuff. You're, you're so constantly fixing stuff. It's like the emergency room, you know, and you're constantly just patching up folks and they keep rolling in and like, well, can we just have some health and wellness and some, some flourishing going on and the satisfaction that comes from, you know, excellence, uh, 
and from smooth running, you know, watching the thing, staying back and watching it hum, you know, watching it just like crank, pound away, be efficient, but not, not for the widgets it's spitting out, but because it's a thing of beauty to watch it just function and flow. Well, I mean, how satisfying is that for you? Yeah, very. Yeah. To be a part of it, too, and be able to, to help. And I think that's why I love doing it. I mean, there's a couple, couple reasons, but one of them is I'm really bad at actually cranking away on a business, but I really value the thing running well, and I love having a hand in that at the front of the at the front of the train or whatever, you know what I mean? And, um, and, and so coming into an organization that is funky and not having a voice and straightening it out is super frustrating. You know, I have a hard time being a part of organizations because of that as a, like a member of an organization. So I'm sitting there going, man, you guys got this all turned around. Um, and nobody cares what I think here. So right. I might just go away. You know, I might just go to another org. Well, and that's how many times do our clients sometimes actually say that? Hmm. Like, I'm not a, I'm not a fit. That's probably the biggest thing, hmm. Mark, that I run into. I mean, we, there's, there's com. I mean, there's, there's a, a a myriad of flavors of issues, but like if there's, if there's probably one thing that seems to be just like the absolute common theme, it's the people part of things. And I don't, it's more like, have we gone out of our way to actually help people understand whether they are or are not a fit? And like, if, if somebody on the team's experiencing th something that you just described, like, is it like a good luck mark? Or is it, you know what? We're actually doing market disservice. Yeah, like we noticed that. Like he's not feeling like he's able to exercise the the contribution that he wants to make, and maybe that's not more on us than it is on on Mark. Yeah, and you know it's interesting. We were together is this this Pinnacle Group uh, in Nashville a few weeks ago, and we had a, a breakout session, and it was. Um, it turned into like I don't know if this was the intent, but it it went down the path of like, we've got some complaints. This was like a bunch of experienced guides in our, in our, in our group, in our community. And it was, it was, I know, tough feedback for some of the, the leaders of the organization to, to hear. But at the end of the day, it was also like, I mean, I give them a ton of credit because they actually mm. listened and here they were saying like, Hey, we're Mark. Mm. I'm feeling like I'm not fitting in. I feel like I f we feel like you're doing things backward or, or not like it's not, like this isn't what we signed up for. Yeah. And it was such a great for me example of again, going back to like, why am I in this business? Like, why do I really see like I, I kind of interpret my role as, as a as a mentor? Um, is like that was such a great moment for that team to just listen to part of its community say, like, hey, we're we're not happy right mm -hmm. now. And you know, there weren't fortunately it's a group that that doesn't make demands necessarily, but certainly offered some challenge to say, like, we really want you to come back, not in this moment, but c come back and help us understand, like, what what's going to be different the next time we're all together? What's yeah. going to be what's going to be different? Um, what do you? How are you guys going to pitch in and and help out? Mm -hmm. um, 
it's just, it, and again, it's like it, it plays out everywhere um, that that people component, because I keep coming back to is a is a, I don't want to say observer, I'm certainly participating, hopefully not in all the criticism, but reflecting on like we can do things better. Mm-hmm. You know, and having been part of the leadership team of that organization a, a year or so ago, reflecting on like, I'm not in that seat anymore, but you know what? I'm a member of this thing. What, yeah. what can I do to, to help help out? Yeah. We, I think because we're such consumers of uh, uh, media, you know, movies, stories, little videos on YouTube and all that stuff, we're seeing just snippets of excellence. Uh, you know, there's those uh, like a boss type things on YouTube, right, where their folks are just like doing these incredible things. And there's about 70 of them in a row. And like this guy's spinning the basketball, these gals are flipping around, the folks are jumping their bikes this way and that way. You know, and like, and you literally in two minutes uh, watch the sum total of about 400 years of mastery. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you don't get that. Like, you're just kind of like, oh, that was cool. Hey, that's neat. Hey, wow, check out that. Look, look how this person jumped over 73 of these things, you know? And, um, and so we're kind of jaded as far as what it actually takes to get to mastery. Um, and there are no painless pathways to mastery, you know? And so we don't see the pain in those little snippets or stories, even in, you know, these movies we're talking about. Uh, a lot of times, you know, two hours is kind of hard to really get immersed in the, the difficulties of, you know, we can get the, sh- the light shown on it a little bit, uh, and, and get an epiphany about it. But when you get down in the trenches and go, you know what, this thing that we're doing ain't quite it. Uh, and now we've got to prune. We've got to feel the pain of pruning off some things. We got to feel the burn of wrestling through some, a, a season. A lot of the, and a lot of these organizational leaders are really tired of that pain they're they're like this is my life it's just this it's just this uh slug fest you know you know i'm beat up and bruised and manic uh depressive you know like up and down and up and down and, and my you know many of them are on next future former marriages whatever you want to call it yeah. kids are leaving uh brothers sisters parents leaving you know, they have all this uh, this destructive wake behind them, and they're like, this has got to stop. You know, I mean, I get the pain, but we're not getting any of the mastery here. <laughs> you know, we're not getting the, you know, we got the we got the pain, we don't have the gain. So what is it, what is, what would you say to that person? Well, I'd ask, where, like, what are you, what are you resigned about? Because there's, there's some form of resig- resignation I would hear in that. We talked a little bit about this earlier today. And like, I find that, you know, if I look in the mirror, if I'm stuck, I'm either resigned about something or I'm attached to something. So I'm resigned that things are a s- certain way and they will always be that way from today forward. 
or I'm attached to things being a particular way or having a specific outcome. The challenge with that is either whatever, whichever one of those two perspectives I have, it both qualify me as a victim. So what was the second one? The first one was resignation. And then attachment. Attachment. So resignation sometimes looks like, well, Shane's a really big producer in our company, but man, he's just so difficult to deal with. But if we asked him to leave or coached him out, all this revenue would walk out the door. Mm-hmm. We just need to tolerate. So I think like toleration is all about resignation Mm -hmm. or, you know, not standing up for what is right versus what is wrong or not making a decision is probably one of the most common areas that I see Mm -hmm. a team being resigned to the common way of doing things, which is either like deep dive into data and there's always more data or we just it's never going to shake out. Like even if we move in that direction and we're still going to fail, like that's just resignation. The other flavor of attachment is we've got, it's got to be this way. Like, and we're going to bulldoze anybody that's in our way. And this is the one model that is going to work. This is the framework. This is, we've, we've heard this before, right? There's 20 tools in the toolbox and that's all that's ever going to be. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's. And, and 11 of them kind of suck. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, there's probably some that aren't, like, aren't as effective. Yeah. They might suck. Yeah. Um, But, like, we're so attached to, like, that's the way it's got to be. Either way, I am a victim within those two perspectives. Yeah, yeah. So the first thing I need to do is, like, I just need to point it out. You know, I shared a story with a client the other day about how, and this is a former long time ago, I first got into the, you know, I guess I call it the coaching world where um, I had hired someone to sell for me and um, it went fairly well for a bit and then it didn't. Hmm. And I owed a commission, but the salesperson totally screwed something up. And I had a story that he was wrong. And you know what? I'm withholding the commission. Screw them. By the way, that's the attachment. resignation is screw me. Uh-huh. Attachment is screw you. Mm. So I was doing the screw you thing. I was attached to being right. And I got a call about a month later from my buddy Jeff. And Jeff said, hey, I ran into uh, Steve at this event. And he had nothing but poison to say or to share about you. I'm like, what? I'm not a poisonous person. Again, I was attached to like being humble and smart mm-hmm. and handsome and all that <laughs> garbage. And he said, hey, Preston, did you hear what I said? Jeff said this. I'm like, well, say it again. I saw Steve and he had nothing but poison to share about you. What's going on? And then I explained the situation and Jeff said, got it. When were you paying Steve? I was like, I'm not paying him. Did you hear what I said when I first started this conversation? And it was one of those moments where like, man, talk about getting punched right in the nose Mm. of like all my stuff, all my stories and me being attached to being right. And all Jeff did was hold up the mirror 
and say, you were such a victim without using those words. I wrote a check that afternoon and sent it off. And a week later, I called Steve and said, I'm sorry, I made a mess. If you haven't gotten it yet, you're getting your commission check. What do I need to clean up? It was some of the best, most powerful coaching I had ever gotten. And the only thing Jeff did was he made me see like, there's something other than being a victim. Maybe there's something that I'm committed to that has nothing to do with that situation. Like bigger than Steve, bigger than my business. Like, what are you really committed to? And it was interesting because I started realizing like, and clients I'm dealing with, like they're either resigned to a way things are going to go or they're attached to a particular uh, outcome. Either way, they're a victim. And so I think our job, my job, our job is like, let's just point that out. Like just, again, light is a great antiseptic. Shine the light on it and then say, hey, you're committed to something else that's way outside this conversation. Like, what is that? It gets them back on track. Because Jeff helped me get back on track. Like, I'm committed to great relationships. I'm committed to a successful business. I'm committed to making a difference. And it was when I was like, oh my gosh, like all it was was just my mindset. I was so bought into being a victim that I was totally forgetting about what I was really doing in the business, what I was really, yeah. what I really intended for any relationship. I had. And I see this play out on a regular basis and keep coming back to, you know, the people part of running an entrepreneurial business is such a, it's a, it's the foundation. I'd actually change up kind of our organizing framework, operating system model to actually not be a circle, but actually be a pyramid. Mm. And I don't know, again, for different conversations, but it's one of those like the people part and like the having healthy people and like really fostering healthy people, healthy relationships. You know, Patrick Lencioni does such a great job of just, I mean, I would say, you know, the, the, the negative way might be say beating a dead horse on that, but literally it's like, I've realized it's so important. Like if we don't have healthy people and healthy relationships, all the other stuff, like the process, the priorities, the performance, even profitability, it's like, we're not getting access to that. And it really doesn't matter if we're nothing but a cancer. Yeah. Yeah. People's a big deal. It's the deal. I think it's the reason, you know, I mean, otherwise just have some internet business or something that's just mailbox money showing up or if you can figure that out. Uh, but, you know, we're doing this because of the peeps in our world. You know, it's kind of like saying, hey, I want to have a family because... I want to have a house with three bedrooms, you know, or I want to have, I just can't wait to have a big grocery bill or, uh, you know, um, it's like, no, it's, it's cause of these people, you know, the house and all that is support. It's, it's part of the, you know, framework that the good stuff is attached to, but it's about the good stuff, you know, and it's, uh, missing the, what do you call it? Missing the forest because of the trees. Minutia, weeds. Oh, man. Yeah. Such a, oh, it's like a, and now you tell, so what do you, so, <laughs> and I'm, you know, we're laughing, chuckling because our, our clients really struggle with um, being stuck, not seeing the big picture not seeing the big truths, not, you know, and it's, it's trauma. Maybe they've just, they've had the, the crap beat out of them for sometimes generations, especially multi-generational businesses, you know, everybody's history and memory is attached to this darned business. Um, 
and it's ebbs and flows and ups and downs, right? And so how, what are some ways that you've succeeded in getting your folks, uh, your clients to get out of the weeds? Like, give me some hacks or some, uh, I don't know, uh, wins around that. So we, where it frequently shows up, us, uh, armchair therapist for a moment, um, and probably more because this, like, this is what I do when I get stuck, or sometimes is the cause of me getting stuck. And I, that which I'm annoyed by in myself, sorry, that which I'm annoyed by in other people is the thing that annoys me about me the most. So, um, for me, getting into the weeds is about trying to recreate the past. That's like the best way I can say it. And it's like we're so we're, what the past is something we're familiar with, and we want to recreate it. And if we've had success in the past, especially, we want to recreate it. Um, the one of the best tools I have automatically at my disposal is control. So the more I feel I'm out of control, the more I want to dig in, and that sometimes looks like getting into the weeds of things. So I see it a lot in planning. So when I'm walking through building out uh, a typically like an annual plan or a quarterly plan where we're distinguishing the three, four core priorities for that time period, teams will get really into the weeds of all the how we need to do things. So fundamentally, the exercise is what is it we want to accomplish by the end of this year, or what is it we want to accomplish by the end of this quarter? So it's just a what by a when. It's fairly straightforward. So X by Y. The what is a definition of an accomplished goal. Well, so frequently, rather than saying, we want to launch website version 3.0, so launch is defined by what? Well, it's public, the functionality, the core functionality works, it's been tested, it's been signed off as tested, it's a fully functioning website. Great, we understand what done looks like. The conversation frequently goes to, what are all the hows? What do we need to do to actually get there? And we get so mired down in the how we need to get there or all the little tiny details that need to be true that we literally can't define Oh, mm-hmm. we just want to launch website 3.0. Yeah. My folks, it's really simple. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not, I don't say it that way to be condescending, but it, it literally is like there's so much complexity in, in the weeds. So regularly, it's about pulling them out of that and especially out of the past. Like, here's the thing let's build an annual plan, annual goals, quarterly goals that is more focused on what we want to create versus what we can predict. We get into the weeds when we try to predict. Now, here's the thing. There's danger in looking at things or making promises based on a, on a context or perspective of creating that which is not yet created. It's going to mean we have to wander into the unknown. Well, what do we already know? Anything that's happened in the past goes back to the control thing. Like, I just want to like, hang out in what I know because we all want, fundamentally want to be safe. So I want to hang out and what do I know? I'm going to spend more time focusing on what's obvious 
of the past and the details of maybe how we had success earlier versus, no, we might actually like, you know, this website 3.0 might actually mean we have to bring in new products, new service, a bunch of things that we haven't done before. We haven't presented to the market yet. Like that's going to be a little bit scary. It's going to be a challenge to build something we've never built before versus what we already know how to do, which is easy. So it, it's almost like walking them through a conversation of like, let's look at the, let's identify the lens that will support, the lens to look through that will support us for building a greater future versus a medi- mediocre or predictable future. And I find sometimes when we you can go back to like, let's get you out in the future. And let's be okay that we're not going to know everything. But what's interesting, and I go back to, I'm sure you may have used this example as well, Mark, that um, JFK years ago was 19, when did he get become president? 60. 60. Mm-hmm. He said, like, within 10 years, within the decade, mm-hmm. we're going to put a man on the moon. Mm-hmm. Well, right. I think NASA was a fledgling organization right. that was nothing but chaos at that right. point in time. Right. We didn't have no idea how we we're going to fund it. We didn't have, we had clearly didn't have the technology to be able to do that. But he made a promise. He didn't know, didn't get into the details. It was a simple, clear declaration of a created future. Mm-hmm. Look what happened in I think it was eight years. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. it was fewer than ten right. that that got accomplished. There's some real lesson in that for teams. Yeah, JFK didn't get in the weeds. Right. He said that we're going there. Yeah. Like what? What if we? What if we used that more? Yeah, frequently. That's great. That's a huge. I think that, and that's a really, really good. Um. You 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 did it. You crushed my question, <laughs> which is, uh, hey, let's paint a picture of what we look like in the future, um, not how we're going to get there, necessarily, or when necessarily maybe we have an idea of kind of where we would like when we would like this to be but if we go it's seven years from now the uh you know the 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 calculate the the sharp penciled people are gonna go now i'm doing the math right and they're going like i don't think we can accomplish that in seven years that sounds like a 9.5 year plan you know, or, and, and it's like, no, this is not a math problem. This is a, we, we're looking at our, we're looking around at our talents. We're looking around the marketplace. We're looking around at our energy level. We're looking around at like this country or whatever and going, hey, could we pull this off? Like, let's cast a vision for what the future, what we look like in the future. And just paint a picture of that business. Uh, and if we were to, the way I like to do this anyway is to say, right now, you guys have a business right now? Yes, we do. Well, that's why we're here, you big dummy. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I know, but you know what I'm saying. And, 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 uh, and I'm like, so let's say, and I get the ages of all of them. Okay, so let's say this is 10 years ago. And that, and you 10 years ago, all of you, you know, you're 17 and you're 31 and you're, and you walk into this room and you look up and you're like, hey, there I am 10 years ago. And that person is going, hey, there you are 10 years from now. Would that person that walk in the room, would they be like, what the heck? How did you get here? 
how did you build whatever you have right now? You know, and, and they would think you're a freaking genius. You know, you're 10 year ago person, probably, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, or the little takeaways like, yeah, dude, you've just been doing the same year over and over. Like maybe you're only one year down the road as far as excellence, but you're 10 years down the road as far as the calendar. Like, huh, well, let's fix that. But, but the point is it kind of paint a picture. Like you, you have moved the needle a bunch and you're just feeling all this pain and frustration right now. And it's blinding you from where you could actually be. So let's just put, put ourselves in that person's shoes. If we walked into our 10 years later self and ask them a question, like, what do you look like right now? Uh, and let's assume you're awesome. Uh, what would that look like? And like, oh man, it'd be, uh, these things. And, and I have to back them into it. I have this hack at this, and I meant to share this with you earlier. Uh, super amazing. I might've shared it with you in Florida when we were down there on our little trip. Uh, but it's a hack I call DTO, define the opposite, um, where, uh, we just kind of go, okay, team, let's say you walk into the room of your 10 year later team. And you suck. And you suck. You Did still you suck. suck. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. Like paint a picture of that. <laughs> you know, like, oh, and they just wax eloquent at that moment. And they're like, well, yeah, we could paint a picture of that. Cool. So 10 years from now, you're still broke. You're still ugly. <laughs> you know, whatever, Ouch. Whatever you want. Oh, man. Uh, side note. Have you been uh, talking to Natalie? <laughs> <laughs> you're still dumb. You're still ugly. <laughs> you're still a jerk. You're still a right, moron. Right. You know? Oh, man. You're still insensitive. Uh, you still don't appreciate a good glass of wine or, or whatever it is she appreciates and you don't. But, yeah, it's easy to paint a picture of, yeah, we're losers. Ten years are not cool. Okay, then you paint a picture of the opposite of that. And it's, it only takes, with a team, an hour. You know, you take an hour, like, paint a picture of what fail looks like. And then you go, okay. We don't want to look like this. Okay, so what's the opposite of all this nasty stuff? Like, oh, we got a great culture. We got uh, lifers, people who love working here and want to retire here. Uh, we're super fruitful. Uh, the marketplace loves us. The competition hates us. You know, uh, we are the employer of choice. Whatever that means. Um, we uh, that's super fun to run. Uh, we, we, you know, we have these, this amazing innovation, uh, we're lean and mean, you know, as far as what our efficiencies are way up. Uh, we found our zone and we're just, we're just cruising. You know, we've, we're the champion of this and the champion of that and the master of this and like, okay, cool. Like there it is. That's it. It's super simple. It's emotional. Like we have no idea how we're going to do any of that stuff. So that's why your client show up day one and that's why they keep coming back martin mm. because you challenge them mm. when you give attribution where it's due dan sullivan always make your future bigger than your past mm. and you keep that hack as you call it keeps putting the, keeps making that invitation to them say what does that future look like and by the way make it bigger than the past it doesn't have to be gigantic compared to your past make it bigger than than your past and it's, it's a great exercise to walk yeah. through because yeah. 
they probably don't get that in the rest of their lives or in many other places they're not they don't have the opportunity yeah I mean, I don't, how many times did someone ask you that question or make that invitation in your life growing up and it's not, it's not because we didn't have the right people in our lives I and mean, mom and dad had the tools they had right or the, the people we had around us had the tools they had they didn't always have tools like that though where you'd say like Preston, just like let's take a minute let's what does that look like? And then the only next step is like, what would be the first thing to do to move in that direction? That's it. We don't have to have it all figured out. And by inviting me to paint the picture of a bigger future, inviting me to just take the first step, not map out all the steps, you're getting me to go in that direction. Like, why wouldn't I come back to that conversation on a regular basis? And frankly, why wouldn't I come back to the conversation with someone who's willing to point out, like, hey, it seems like you're off track from yeah. where you said you were going to head. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great one. Well, so on the – even coming back to the difference between implementer, coach, teacher, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I see an implementer as – and this ties into what you're saying here. I see an implementer as somebody who is an expert <clears throat> in a format or a framework, mm -hmm. or a, you know, a particular, well, I would say, let's say you're a Toyota certified mechanic. Great. Great at Toyotas. Okay, perfect. Certified and all that. Um, that's maybe an implementer, but a coach uh, I see as somebody who's like, well, so you want to get from here to there, huh? And this thing ain't running? Yeah. Um, well, have you worked on it? <laughs> you know, right. have you tried to find a mechanic? Um, uh, I've noticed you're upset. Uh, well, maybe you ought to cool down, um, and get back to work on this thing. Uh, is this the right vehicle for you to get from here to there? Uh, come on, come on, quit crying, get out of there, uh, brush your clothes off and get started. Um, you seem like a good mechanic owner of this car. Uh, is this the right car? Should you maybe go to a bike or a motorcycle? Or, you know, hey, have you thought of these tools or those tools? Um, have you thought about walking? You know, let's push the thing until we get to, can you get somebody to help you push it? It's just getting them to kind of, and then it's like, shut up and keep pushing. You know, come on, it's it's pushing them. Uh, it's getting them to really be the best version of themselves, perhaps. And helping them to realize, like, don't forget there's this destination and you're sitting here crying. The destination is better, bigger. It's worth the pain. Even if you have to walk there, it's worth it, isn't it? Is it? You know, and, and calling all that out. Well, you just helped me see something. A coach is your inside voice that has empathy and invites challenge. We're already thinking it, mm -hmm. but it's probably the flavor of judgment or blame, mm -hmm. criticism, condescension. Like, yeah. At least that's yeah, yeah. usually the flavor of my inside voice. Sure. But you're saying what I already know, what I'm yeah. already thinking. Right. But you're probably saying it in a way that allows me to hear it as empathetic. Like, be okay with where you are. Yeah. Because you're not staying there, by the way, and that's where the challenge piece comes in to say, yeah. you know, let's go back to that bigger future that you just defined. Yeah. Why don't you let's get your inside voice to talk about that a little bit more about 
where things have failed in the past. I have a hard time working with folks that don't have a real vision, that don't have a real reason to have a business, a real place to take the business, um, a real need for uh to to unearth their strategy their their kind of secret sauce you know hey here's here's what we do um now if they and i got to try to get a sense of do i think they're going to get it do i think i can help them figure this out and if they're like money 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 i'm like i don't know i mean it's a big deal but it's not a why if it is their why i don't like them and they don't like me actually (laughs) Well, and that's so true. Uh, going back to your you know, recent podcast, you guys were breaking down uh, Angela Duckworth's book, Grit, and she talks about when you've got like the combination, well, at least what I heard when I was listening to the book, like the combination of grit and passion is like, that's where the rubber meets the road. Like those are folks that we know about, like, cause you hear about them and they weren't the sharpest tools in the shed, right? Mm-hmm. They they figured out how to overcome natural the absence of natural talent but the combination because there's one thing to say all right i'm overcoming my lack of something of talent so it's one thing to have grit but like for me grit without purpose or mission or something something we're absolutely passionate about Mm -hmm. that seems like just an explosion Right, and I say, and oftentimes, well, I'll say it this way: it's like an M80 going off or a stick of dynamite. It's just like there's there's energy that gets dispersed everywhere, versus like a bullet, mm-hmm. very clear trajectory. Right, it's guided, it's pointed in a particular direction, but man, it's got enormous energy. And I don't, I mean, my, I can, I always struggle with money. Like I, I'm. Just to be clear, like I'm a card carrying capitalist. Mm. I, I mean, I just you know, again, there's go back. cards for that. Oh, amen. You, you don't have yours get, yet. No, dude. You've been talking I, to Bernie. Um, <laughs> um, that oh man, entrepreneurs taking over the world like that. I mean, yeah. that's like so clear. Like yeah. that's all I want to do. Like, and that, that's something I'm probably passionate about. If I had to like narrow it down to say like. What's the mission I'm on so as to have that be a reality in the future? It's the pursuit of fitness and fitness in a bunch of different domains. Like, mm-hmm. I just want to help you get smarter and stronger financially, organizationally, operationally, from a people perspective, relationship perspective, like your own health. Like, I want to be like, come to my gym and let's get to work. And I mean, I would finally like I, had, I wanted to prove a point to my kids that like, and this is where I'm gonna wrestle a little bit with this because um, I don't know how this is gonna come out. Um, so I I dug up my um, I'm this was uh, Nashville. We were in Nashville a few weeks, and I mean in this conversation with with my wife uh, Natalie, who's my not just the absolute love of my life, but like my the the best mom any two kids could have and like and by the way like just a kick 
are we okay with salty language here? Do you mm-hmm. edit it out? <laughs> Can I kick ass? Is yeah, that what you're like Yeah, I was in the no, you're, okay. you're good with it. Okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> uh, kick ass operations manager. I mean, she mm. runs our business. Mm. Like, I'm, I'm literally the hired help, and it's great because that fits, fits with me. Um, we're having this conversation about like, how do we coach our kids? How we like, how do we, you know, it's not just like parent. I mean, maybe it's part of the parenting thing, but the bottom line is like, all right, I think we've turned out. Okay. Like Natalie's definitely turned out. Okay. But like, there's a big question mark around me on a lot of different (laughs) levels. And, and like, we've got one, our son just similar to me wrestled with academics. He's on a great path, uh, in life. Uh, our daughters, like the opposite, right. And joking around like, Oh, that's the mailman's kid. Um, that, uh, like she's just an academic superstar and like either way, like fundamentally it doesn't really matter. I mean, you can have great grades and, and pursue that. But I, anyways, bottom line is I, I ended up like, um, kind of like, I have no idea what my high school GPA was. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious. <laughs> I know it wasn't good, but what was it? And so um, I literally, I'm in the Nashville airport and I just get on, uh, I, I jump on my computer and I'm like, how, how do I, how would I get my transcript from, from uh Nutrier high school and we not get Illinois. And um, anyway, I like find the registrar email. I'm like, I'm probably just send it to that person. And so I've like, send it off. Like, hey, can I, my transcript expecting like, I don't even know if I hear him. Literally seven minutes later, ding. <laughs> No uh, can you please uh, give me your home address and your parents' full name? And I'm like, send it back. Transcript got sent like 15 minutes later. It was, I love technology. 1.73. Oh, dude. Isn't that like just horrible? Oh, man. Yeah, you're going to publish this podcast, right? <laughs> Are we to bleep that part out? <laughs> right. <laughs> your clients are going to be like, you big dumbass. Right. Exactly. <laughs> what are you doing in high school, man? Exactly. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's like, oh my gosh, but like, yeah. what, like, am I going to allow that to define me? Yeah. Right. And so I want to bring that example because the, the big aha for me in that moment was like, how many times do my clients come into my office, into my session room, and they're battling their own 1.73 and whatever that looks like. Yeah, sure. And it's like, is that the thing that's going to define you? Because if it is, I'm not sure I can help. You know, you're committed to something, but it sounds like you're committed to that. Yeah. And I, I look at it, I would not be sitting here with the two of you if I were committed to the story that a really miserable GPA would tell. Like, okay. Hey, guess what? Regular school wasn't a good fit. Right. But isn't it interesting because fundamentally, I'm a teacher. Mm -hmm. My little business is a school. My students are amazing folks that run entrepreneurial businesses. You're a learner too. I mean, you just, right? I mean, all, all uh, all these coaches that we come across are just, in some ways, they're voracious learners. You know, they just... We just can't seem to, we realize that man, you got to keep sharpening that saw. And it's the academic structure and it, coming back to format again. It's like, it's just the wrong format. It, you know, we want to learn. And maybe at 17 or 19 or 13 or 15 or whatever, because I'm, I'm chuckling. And you got a big laugh out of me because I'm like, yeah, it, it probably wasn't as bad as mine. Mine was 2.3 or something. Uh, and also, and, and so I won, you won <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> my wife. I can't remember why, 
but some sometime lately in the last year she had to track down she transcripts for the same reason and and decided to get mine i don't know what she needed mine for if she was just curious uh and she's like man you you really screwed up you know we went we were sweethearts in high school right that's right and uh, so what i'm like well what were yours i mean and she bluffed her way through some stuff and and uh, anyway um yeah it's uh no bueno you know and i didn't take spanish in high school but uh <laughs> no it's great yeah, my, my my daughter georgia now has effectively gone from she hasn't called me dad in like 12 years she calls me press mm. um she does she does call me 1.73 now. No, <laughs> it's so great. That's I mean, awesome. it's, it's brilliant. When oh, you're like your rock star man. academic kid, just yes. busting your chops. Yes. <laughs> but morning, humility. 1.73. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Oh man, and it's a big deal. One of one of the things I had to do, and it's around that head trash kind of stuff. I think in this in this space, I think it's true for every space. But head trash is such a big deal. It is. Uh, you know, that inner voice, self-talk, whatever you call it, is a fundamental cause of lack of of achievement, uh, lack of forward motion. And I had to, I had a client fire me. Shoot, this wasn't long after I met you, probably. Um, early in my kind of really pounding away on this business. Uh, got fired in this, in this, and I deserved it. I think. Um, no, I didn't think I did then. I didn't actually, I didn't feel like I did, but looking back, I'm like, yeah, I think I did. I think I deserved. When you did the AAR, you realized. Yes. <laughs> yes yeah. And I naturally kind of did AAR sort, sort of, but, but the head trash nearly killed me. I nearly, uh, the, it created a wobble in my operating system Mm. and uh and that wobble uh i almost fell out of the sky as a as a business as a coach as a you know and and i'm like oh man this this same wobble has been in my life all along you know and i i gotta get rid of this thing you know and it's insecurity and and other kind of you know just i don't know head trash around you know value like where is my what is my value um and so i I put together, man, it's, all this was, and I didn't realize this was a thing, actually. And all my tools are, you know, after I make them, like, yeah, there's this thing that I do, and I figure it out, and I'm like, oh, there are these other people that do the same thing, and it's part of this therapy, or part of this system, like, oh, oh okay, and, and all this stuff is fairly in, intuitive. But, uh, but anyway, I just came up with a list of, here's what's true about me, like, in a positive sense. And I had to just, in the morning, every day, go over it again and again and again. And I started saying it to myself. And I was, the first time I did it, I thought I was a complete uh, spaz, uh, 80s term, right? Uh, but I, I, I typed it up, uh, well, it was in Evernote, and I printed it off and taped it to my whiteboard at my home office. And I'm like, okay, today I will have a good day. 
I am built to do this. I know that, you know, yeah, I screwed up here and here and here, but I'm not going to let that define me. I'm going to jump over it. And I, and I found that I just had to remind myself of the truth. And it's not positive thinking. I mean, it's not, I'm not like pumping myself up about something that's not true. You know, I'm not trying to like dream it up so it'll come to be. It's more like, look, dude, you can crush this. You're built for this. Like, shut up, get over it, move on, uh, you know, get off your butt. Come on. Yeah, that sucked. It sucked this way and this way and that way. But hey, let's let's move past this. Uh, and I built this little, and it's like eight or ten bullet points. And I had to for like three months. Uh, start say you know say that to myself and then you know like eventually i'm gonna have all the right clients and all the right you know everything's gonna be fine i'm gonna look back on this season fondly it sucks now but it won't and soon you know soon i will look like this and this and that i'm not gonna give up i'm gonna keep on walking you know it's that 20 mile journey right the the, oh, the 20 uh, mile march yeah from uh what's his name jim collins yeah book, great right? by choice yeah book yep Yep. So I, man, I, and I have about, shoot, I have five or six clients that help them build the same little tool morning mantra, especially with my executive coaching clients, um, to get them to go, dude, get your head around what you're doing here. So it's like, man, what a great, thanks for sharing that Mark. Cause we were, so I've got a couple of questions for you. What was the, what was the wound that got created that had you go down that path, that self-defeating mm -hmm. path. Oh, well, shoot, this may take a while. I mean, it all comes back to parenting. <laughs> I, was, I think yeah. at the end of childhood, uh, when we were chuckling about parenting, and I just this thing, you know, um, we call ourselves good parents if. The resiliency of our children outweighs the stupidity of our parenting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so if you see one of your children fall, um, not be resilient. Yeah. And fail in some fashion, like all of a sudden we might think, uh-oh, we failed as a parent. Yeah. So to, to mend that wound... We usually tell ourselves a lie. Yeah. And that lie sticks with us. So yeah. what's a lie that was yeah. told? Well, so uh, the lie, and I have a ton of tools around this whole thing uh, because I had to work on myself so much. Um, but really the fundamental uh, fallacy was, or a misunderstanding, or I just didn't know where, what my true, I didn't know what my value was, is. And, um, that's, I, by the way, that's the lie. Right. So here's yeah. like, isn't it interesting armchair therapist for a second, um, that you would ask that question Yeah. Ha, that you're simply, that you're asking, what is my value? Might, I might hear, I do hear that as well. You had some form of belief that you didn't have value. Yeah. Right. Like, why would you look for something that you already have? Right. It must be lost. Yeah, it was for sure unclear. I, I had of competing competing evidence 
uh, conflicting evidence of, well, my value is this. No, it's this. No, it's this. Uh, well, this wins me favor or, or opens doors. Oh, but this, you know, and it is a mess. It was a chaotic mess. So that bullet point tool you just explained is a mechanism that actually dispels the lie. Or at least it, it like let's just put it over there. Like mm-hmm. we don't need to kill it off necessarily, mm-hmm. but we we're just gonna put it yeah. over there. Yeah. And like it gets you back into, guess what? I the wound is either there or it isn't, and the lie is either there or it isn't. But I'm just not gonna be in that context of the yeah. wound and lie. And yeah. this was like, this is such a powerful. We just, um, dear friend of ours, uh, Father Mark Livingston, priest at our church, just amazing dude. And we were like, Natalie and I were just wrestling some, with things, some things as parents. And we, Father Mark comes over to dinner and he just puts this bombshell on the table. And is like, Louis just asked me the same question. Well, what's the wound, Preston? I'm like, huh? Well, what's the wound that has you think a particular way about how you're parenting? Mm. And I can dig for a minute. And it's like, okay, well... <laughs> um, I mean, all kidding aside, there is something legitimate that comes in. Like, what's a dude with a 1.73 GPA? Like, how is he going to turn out as a parent? Right? Like, right. am I sufficient for my kids? So high school was four years of creating a wound for me in many years. And I had to I'd start telling the lie that I'm deficient in some way, shape, or form. Well, that just happened to be the context of parenting in this situation. But ultimately, like, what about my business? What's the lie? And I had some great coaching a few years ago where my coach actually said, you know, there's something about you, Preston, where I experienced, I'll call it dazzling dud. You're really shiny and you look really cool right when you first meet you, but then like you fail to get things across the goal line. Mm. I'm like, holy crap. Like just, she just like literally described the last 20 years of my life. Yeah, you're like, I hate you, and now I have to pay you. Right, exactly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And and so, like, offering the tools, like, again, I don't, again, I'm not a therapist, right? I don't think either, you, none of us no. are therapists, yes. right, in any way, shape, or form. And it comes back to, like, there's, goes back to, the past and like trying to control things and trying to overcome things. And like, I don't know, that never works for me. I don't see it working for clients. So you come back to your eight point, 10 point bullet point or your, your checklist, like w- making those uh, assertions about how the day is going to go or about who you are. And I think maybe some folks listening to this will say, oh, yeah, that's a bunch of hooey. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I actually, after being super frustrated with all sorts of journals or planners that are out there in the market, I just finally said, screw it. I'm creating my own. Mm-hmm. And one of the mechanisms is every single day going through this, this like it's called positive focus. And it's four domains. It's personal, professional, gratitude, and learning. So in the morning, I make a promise. Mm-hmm. What do I want to accomplish today personally? accomplished today professionally, accomplished today, like what am I grateful for today? And what do I want to learn today? Mm. I'm just putting it out proactively. These are four things that, that I want to get done. And then there's why are those things important? And then at the end of the day, it's what's the next step? Not, not It's interesting, not what the result of that was, but what's the next step? And what's worked for me the last month or so with this is that 
literally the distinction of the result, not having that be part of the journaling exercise, that the next step, in other words, it almost asserts that there are results that got created. So we come bringing this back to clients. We want to grow profitability by 50% or it's totally unreasonable, revenue by 50% and profit by you know 15%. That's great. That's a result. If we obsess about that, consider that where we are today is insufficient for the result we actually want. But if we could actually point out what's important today, a small little increment, and then really answer the question, why is that important? And then just say, what's the next step we see to take at the end of today, the next step we would take tomorrow. Like, what if we just do that over and over and over again? Guess what? You're getting your 50% revenue increase. You're getting your 15% right. profitability increase. Right. And it comes back to like just again, getting rid of the common conversation we have about like we're wounded in some way. We've created a lie to overcome the wound or to mask it, hide it from people. Like that doesn't work. Right. You. you I mean, the the um, your. Uh, Sorry, AAR or ARR? AAR. AAR. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a great tool. Mm. The the bullet point thing you just mm-hmm. you just Yeah, I uh, call that my morning mantra. Morning mantra. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Right? It's like just puts you in that mindset that has you take a step forward today. Yeah. Like it's it and ultimately not to again, I mentioned earlier, like I'm a simplifier at the risk of oversimplifying. Like it's not rocket science, thank yeah. God. Because yeah, right, right. For my, we would for my sake, we would all be in trouble right there. <laughs> I'm pretty sure <laughs> we're doing Lego. Work. I know, Shane, Shane probably got like what, like a six point three <laughs> GPA, right. yeah, yeah, three point three. Did you well, really three point three? Man, good for nice. you. Nice high school, yeah. rock solid. And I was bored, silly. Yeah. No, see, now that was like I, salt in the wound, Shane. <laughs> I just. <laughs> I was sleeping through half the classes. Oh, I man. just was so bored. You had a cool car, though. I did. You had a car, which was cool. Yeah, yeah. I was the I was the the driver. Oh, the you were the dude with the car yeah. that I bought myself. Yep, that's right. Because I was working, absolutely working in high school. Yep, earning money, yep. being a contributor. Yeah, three point yeah. three, bored out of your mind. Yeah, I'm hitchhiking. Well, in, in school, I was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, right, we were, right. yeah, I'm calling Shane. Can, <laughs> right, right, exactly. can you pick me up? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Shane's like, you got gas money? Yeah, that's exactly. That's how it goes. <laughs> so great. Man. Yeah. Well, um, so parenting, you know, we and all our clients are, you know, basically little kids that just grew up and are still walking around in the echoes of all that. All of the employees. This is how I got into business coaching, actually. Um, buddy of mine who listens to this podcast, who's a client, uh, shout out to Brandon Kenny, TTX. Hey, Brandon. So, you know, years ago he'd invited me to kind of, he's like, Hey, well, he was young, a lot younger than I am. And we met at church and my kids are, were, are the, oh, shoot, there's probably 15 years between his oldest and my oldest, maybe more than that. And he's like, Hey, can you, can you? throw me a bone here, dude. And like, help me figure out how you, you did this fatherhood thing or how you're doing it. Cause it seems like it's working. You're doing it. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess, you know, I'd never thought about it. And anyhow, um, and I just kind of like, Hey, you know, folks, like we're walking around, I'm walking around, I'm guessing you're walking around the same way in the reverberations of whatever your childhood story is. 
and there's some lies and truths and all that junk. And, you know, I'm like, dude, you got a chance to sing a song into your kids and create this future reverberation. And like, this is your time to mold and shape. Like you are going to mold and shape these kids, whether you like it or not, know it or not. And whatever you do as a parent, it will be. That is how they will be as adults. And now it's not only us, but the, the point is that kids grow up getting shaped by school, by music, by their friends, by their parents, by the economy, by politics, by so many different things. And to just go, there is this wet clay. And folks are, things are shaping them. And when we grow up, we are that, you know? And you got a chance to have this big, you when well, now back up, you will have a big, big impact. If you walk away right now and go, heck with it, I can't do it that will have a big impact. If you're like, I'm going to overdo it. Okay, that will have a big impact. You know, whatever you do, I'm sorry, it's going to reverberate. Uh, you know, there is no way out of this. <laughs> like you have stepped into this other zone. And, and when, you know, getting married is like one thing. But having kids, you it the game changes at that point. I think marriage, you know, like, wow, I thought this magical shift was going to happen. You know, and like, well, we're still the same folks. Uh, we just fight more or <laughs> hang out more <laughs> or whatever more, right? And that's and it's like, well, this isn't fundamentally very different from dating. I mean, it, yeah, we we're cohabitating and we just mixed our bank accounts together and some other things, right? And it got a lot more complicated. But you're still like, well, I'm still an individual, and so are you. And where's the, like, where's this magical unity we thought we were going to come into, you know? Well, and that's the utopian yeah. dream yeah. that we might have. Sure. Probably not just in marriage, but probably in, in many different things. I mean, aside from the, like the public declaration that yeah, sure. you and your wife are actually sure. married. Right. right? That's a, a big deal. Right. right. Um, and at the same time, yeah, like day to day, like how it was the day before marriage to the day after marriage, like it, it might not seem that different. You know, it's been interesting because I've been playing around with the idea. I've never felt a real resonance with the language or the concepts of management or leadership. And I've been playing around with like, well, what about stewardship? Because mm -hmm. yep. what does it mean to steward something? And so I'm going to tie it back in, Mark, to what you just said. Like, is marriage, like, am I, if I'm not married, I'm dating, do I have stewardship responsibility or accountability? I'm not sure. Like, I just don't know the answer. I mean, you might be able to make an argument, but ultimately, because there's a public and official form of commitment in the act of marriage, I, no shucks, no kidding, absolutely am obligated, responsible and accountable for stewardship, mm -hmm. stewardship of my spouse. Mm -hmm. um, absolutely with kids. Mm -hmm. Like my number one role as a father is to, well, a couple roles. I would assert first, like in my world, of faith is a huge part of our life. Like get mm -hmm. them to heaven, 
Bottom line, like I got to set them up. They're going, they're going to heaven. Um, second is to create strong children versus safe children. Yeah. Like they got like there's going to be stuff that's going to happen, but I got to prepare them to be strong. I cannot protect them from the times where they may be unsafe. And I've been looking at how do I apply that to the teams I'm working with? Yeah. And like, what if we invite the teams to start taking on this perspective of stewardship where there's a responsibility of caretaking? If I understand that word stewardship, that there's like, there's a caretaking and it's not necessarily like, I mean, does that have something to do with authority, maybe in decision-making tactically, but I think fundamentally, contextually, like what's your role if you're, running the company you're on a leadership team is to actually like be to be a steward of the people to be a steward of the client or customer to be a steward of the marketplace for me like carries on a or carries with it a level of um significance mm -hmm. that i don't think is a bad thing yeah like there's a weightiness to it but again i again go back to my world of of kind context of, of fitness is that you don't get stronger without equal or greater resistance. Mm -hmm. And so why not put that on my shoulders as someone running a company or part of a, what we call a leadership team to be a steward? Why not put that on my shoulders as a parent to be the, to become a stronger parent to, yeah. you know, carry, carry that weight. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I, <clears throat> you know, we are, this comes back to my why in coaching. Uh, we are, and it's tied to family which is, uh, you know, we're building this world. We as parents are what I would call cultural activators, uh, we're um, instigators, like we create culture, right? And you, when you're growing up as a kid, you're like, I live in a world. Yeah, and that world is either by default or intentionality, but it is shaped it is the, the world is literally created, whether accidentally, intentionally, without knowing all the above, by, first of all, your parents and, that, and their story and their abilities or inabilities. And, uh, and, and, and business is the same darn thing where somebody says, I am going to create an organization. And inside of this organization, people will find their existence. And will live for days and days and days every week. And this will be their world. And we accidentally think, I'm going to create a transaction where we're going to produce this goods and service, and it's going to bring this thing, and it's going to do this thing. For who? Well, for my world. Right. So if we want to have a, we've got to get across to those organizational leaders like, dude, ma'am. You know, you are building a world for people and you are a jockey or a sculptor or a, uh, you know, shepherd or something where the world exists for all these folks because you did it. Uh, and you can't, like, if you want to just say, oh, I just got this transaction. Okay, nobody's going to like that, although they're going to stick around as long as the transaction fits their transaction. Now we just got this like math problem. And, and we're not actually into that. That's not a great way to stay welded into an organization is around math. You know, the math has to add up. It can't be bad math. 
but it's not about the math. And so as you know, in the years when I was doing kind of fatherhood coaching, like folks, look, you got to realize then this comes all the way back to my kind of personal wound, you know, uh, is, Hey, in the heart of a kid, there's all these currents running through. There's these questions that a kid is asking. They don't know they're asking it and the parents don't know they're answering it often. But one of those fundamental questions is, hey, what is my worth? Is it I am? But, you know, I exist, therefore I am valuable. Or is it I do or I perform? And, and so do you love me because of what, how I perform or don't perform? Or do you love me because I breathe, I exist, I am? You know, and in my childhood story, it was... That was miscommun not not miscommun it was communicated well actually mm. <laughs> that my worth was around performance or lack of uh, and I figured out how to navigate that through pain and whatever all kinds of reasons but that re the reverberation of that has carried into my adulthood and and I think we all do that and I've tried I've tried to show my kids, hey, I love you because of who you are, be because you exist. Um, and and even with my special needs kid, that had, you know, that kind of like had, I had to hit the reset button big mm -hmm. time because I thought I was doing that. And then when he came on, I'm like, oh, crap, I'm not doing that very well. Um, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm actually just dabbling <laughs> in, I'm, I'm kind of like making it look like I'm, valuing folks because of who they are and i'm actually really not uh and i had to hit and it was a real painful it took me about 15 years actually to get over that and uh or, or move through that um so yeah so but i think with the with the with leaders of these businesses all their folks every one of them has some serious story about the, their lives themselves you know that, that whether they know it or not and us as leaders are kind of moving all these folks through life and and i think there's something really beautiful about a leader manager person business owner uh that can say hey i can help you i have this history i've screwed that up i've screwed that up i know some people um what do you say we work on this, you know, Sven, <laughs> as our avatar uh, employee? Uh, hey, Sven. Sven. You know, Sorry. yeah, you got this uh, budget issue. I know you're going broke, Sven. Like, I'm not going to pay you more. What do you say you spend less? You know, or I know these people that have this budget thing. Hey, Sven, I had the same problem, and I have more zeros after my paycheck, but I still couldn't figure it out. But then I did, and here's how. And Sven's like, oh, boss, great day. Thanks, boss, or whatever. You have a big, bigger voice than you know as a leader manager. And they're looking up to you, whether you deserve it or not. You may not deserve it. <laughs> you may not be a worthy uh, person to look up to. But, and that's part of this leadership thing, too, is like, hey, become, you know, Greg says, says this. Greg Cleary says, uh, become the leader your people deserve. Right? Or, right or something like that, right? Become the kind of manager that that they deserve. Yeah, it is. And he puts in the context of yeah. that they deserve. And it's, again, it goes back, for me, that goes back to the that, that idea of stewardship. Is I've got a responsibility to 
Like you, you are worthy. Mm-hmm. If you're working for me, you are as worthy as anyone else in my life mm-hmm. to have access to an amazing future. And fundamentally, if I'm a steward, it's probably my responsibility to create the resources, create the tools, offer the tools, make available the resources, my time to actually help you pursue that, pursue that, that future. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, you, you, as you were sharing that, Mark, I was reminded of um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of the team members in a planning session, when we were checking in, what was a big win from this last quarter? My work-life balance is so much better. That's terrific. I noticed I have a reaction when I hear someone say work-life balance, use those three words. I'm like, that's such a bunch of hooey. Mm. Like, I don't, I don't have, like, I don't literally go from one compartment called work and then step through a doorway <laughs> into the mm-hmm. rest of life. I'm like, yeah. it's one thing. Yeah. And it's like, the people who are not victimized by their work never use that term. Mm. And like, that's one of the things that certainly draws me to working with entrepreneurial companies mm. versus like big, huge behemoth corporations is that there is a bigger mission. There's a bigger, bigger purpose. It is beyond the money. I mean, it comes back to the figuring out like what defining the impact we want to create, which could be a, a great motivator of why the business got started, but how do we amplify the impact that we potentially can can create? That's like it, it just to your story you're sharing. It's like yeah, you're doing the same thing as a parent. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many times do you hear when you're just either catching up with clients or checking in? Mm-hmm. During a during a session where they actually say, "Hey, Mark, you know, last quarter when we talked, we solved that 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 roadblock, we got rid of that obstacle." You know, I realized that that something similar was going on in my marriage, or something similar was going on with a friendship, and I want to thank you because that conversation, the real value of that, certainly applies to the business. But the real value is this relationship outside of business made a huge difference. Like I didn't see something before we had that conversation. You helped yeah. me see it. Yeah. Like, man, who wouldn't want to go do that kind of work? Yeah. And like, it's a cross, it's a, there's a cross uh, uh, responsibility. It's not so much a hierarchy as it is, hey, we're all in this together. Um, I have some things to learn to get better at. You have some th- things to learn to get better at. Maybe as a parent, your role is to create a healthy environment for those things too. If the environment's not healthy, well, gee, parent, let's figure it out. Um, but if you look at other high-performing teams, you know, sports, for example, uh, and I've heard, you know, a lot of business owners are like, well, you know, this isn't family. We're not building this thing. We're just, we just have this job and this business. Yep, you sure do. So the folks that won the Super Bowl were, was that were, did they do that for free? Like were they playing for free? Like they had an HR department and they had a and and every one of them. If you say what are you trying to do here? We're trying to win the Super Bowl. They weren't saying now they they definitely are like I have a career and I got this paycheck and I have this contract and I have this agent and there's this HR and all that stuff super uh, important and without it 
yeah, maybe it all falls apart, but it's not the reason. And a good leader needs to say, this place we're headed is very life-giving. It's a, there's a good reason for us to go there. And yeah, we're going to pay your paychecks and yeah, we're going to HR our, and yeah, we're not going to get sued. And yeah, we're going to try to, you know, keep everybody from losing fingers and toes and all that stuff. And super, super important, but it's not about that. Uh, it's about that compelling place that we're going. A lot of times, I mean, you've seen this folks. I'm like, what's your vision? Uh, I'll say, what's your vision? And they're like 50 million and 20% profit. You know, sorry. Uh, well, I hope you get there. I mean, that's neat, I suppose. But nobody else cares, buddy, except you, right? I mean, uh, so Miss HR is always HR, almost always a lady uh, for some some reason. Uh, so, Madam HR, is that compelling to you? I don't know. Fifty million sounds like a lot of money. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> she's like, not really. I don't care. You know, hey, uh, Mr. CFO, well, it depends on the blah, 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 IRS. He's, he's calculating like EBITDA, EBITDA, EBITDA. You know, like, okay, great. You know, we should probably measure that. I'll tell you, dude, the, the folks with the more, a lot of time, like, who has letters after their name? Raise your hand. And hands go up. And I'm like, shoot. Like, you shut up and you shut up. Like, you, you know, my folks that don't have letters after their names are happier. And they're getting more done, and they're they are like, oh, that's what we should do. Like, yeah, and they do it. <laughs> like, well, that was easy. Or, thanks. You know, the folks with the letters after their name, I gotta argue with them for twelve months, and then they sort of do it. You know. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of a buddy of mine shared. Preston, you're always gonna win the game you're playing, so. I don't know if the best question to ask is, how do I win the game? I think the better question to ask is, what's the game I'm actually playing? Yeah, right. And it's that's been a big, again, shining the light, right? Light's a great antiseptic. That if I'm playing the game for revenue and profit, I'm going to win. But I'm probably taking bodies out or I'm, may have high turnover. I may have lack of engagement. Uh, and by the way, again, remind everyone listening to this, like I am a card-carrying capitalist, and yes, they do hand out cards. Um, I didn't so, get one. <laughs> I'll, I'll get on that. Can you get it? Can you get it? <laughs> okay. It's because making money is access to capability, to reinvest. We can become stronger. We can upgrade our technology we can upgrade people we can upgrade we can invest in new markets like think of like profits this brilliant expression of capability that we always want to be increasing but if it's for that mechanism it's a little bit like me going to the gym and saying all that matters is the 45 pound dumbbell you guys would be like what that doesn't make any sense no it's really important 45 pound dumbbell like well you're lifting it for what reason? Oh, to get stronger. And if you're stronger, why would you want to be that? Oh, well, you know, because you're, you know, you're, you're in your fifties now, and you want to be able to continue playing hockey with the youngsters. I'm like, yeah, like you walk mm -hmm. me through that. Like all of a sudden, oh yeah, I guess it's not about the forty-five pound mm -hmm. dumbbell. That's it's right. about an expression 
in life. It's about relationships, mm -hmm. about, I mean, who doesn't want to be in the locker room getting dressed for hockey with the chatter? I mean, you hear words and language and stories mm -hmm. you've never heard before, mm -hmm. which are not not appropriate on this channel. <laughs> definitely R-rated. Definitely yeah. But. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, and that's, that's the fun, uh, the fun work that we get to do is help our clients remember their why, find their why, yeah. unearth their why. A lot of times they're like, oh yeah, there is a why in there. Huh? Like I forgot the pain, the, the weeds, the minutia is buried. So my little speech uh, when somebody's like, Hey, so what do you do? What is coaching? Are you a consultant? No. Um, consultants are, are like, well, I crushed this business in this way or this practice in this way. And I will teach you how I did it, uh, and get you to do this process or whatever down in the weeds. Uh, implementers like, Hey, I'm really good at, I don't know. Um, uh, Microsoft 360. Is it 360? 365? 360. See, I don't even know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't care. Most days it's only 360. <laughs> For me, it's like 222 or something. Right. I'm like, whatever. Actually, it's like 002. You almost me. took a week I'm off like, there. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not even going <laughs> to. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm really good at this. Great. Teach it to me. Okay. QuickBooks. Great. Implementer. I'm going to teach you QuickBooks. Um, but a coach's job, I think, is to help the client identify their ultimate destination and then help them chart a course to hit it uh, by getting them to focus on the few vital tasks that are going to move the needle month in and month out and then hold them accountable to those tasks. And I'm like, that's all we're going to do there, Sven. Uh, you in or out? You know, I'm like, well, What's it look like? I'll tell you what. Show up. We'll spend half a day doing it. At the end of it, you tell me if you're in. And if you're not, fine. I'm not either. <laughs> you know, or or whatever. But but you know, do you know where you're headed? No, I don't. Well, do you well then you're you're almost there. No, you're there now. Like, well, this this sucks. Yeah. You, <laughs> you know, you're That's just going in big circles, it. right? You're You've actually if you don't define that reason why yeah. that includes a tangible expression of a where or a what because yeah. we i mean we we do live in a tactile world right i mean there's we we want to we want to be able to paint that clear picture of, of to be able to know we've arrived but if we don't have that defined then yeah you've actually arrived and then when you which is a great way to put it mark like you're in your misery because you're not satisfied with right yeah. now i'm like yeah. well then this clearly isn't it. Yeah. So let's let's define it. And what a great what a great way to kind of wrap up what we do in terms of we help we help our teams define the reason they exist. We help them map out a destination, not the perfect or right one, but the best one that they can see now, formulate a path to get there, help them remove the obstacles that inevitably arise and celebrate along the way and yeah. once in a while have to you know be a size 10 and a half in the backside because mm -hmm. again i go back to like jeff kaplan you know if you ever listen to this jeff man you did me a huge favor by like making that phone call and saying steve is spewing poison about you right now like oh that was a 
that was a big fist in the nose. That wasn't a ten and a half on the backside. Yeah. yeah. It got me really clear, like what am I really up to? What's the relationship I really mm-hmm. want? Yeah. Dude, I could talk with you and listen uh and banter for a week straight. Oh my god, this is you just know? awesome. I this mean be my day job. Right. We're just gonna talk all day, Monday through Friday. Can banter, throw ideas back and forth. Can we get paid for this? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It is Friday. But it feels like Monday, which is the new Friday. So all every Friday's day is the Friday. new Monday. Friday's the <laughs> right. Friday. We just banned Mondays. There are no Mondays in my calendar. They're all Fridays. I literally well, I think I asked this this morning and Shane like looked at me like, Oh man, this dude's a little weird. What day is it today? It's oh Friday. Sorry. Friday. Yeah, man. Yeah. Literally, it's like which is a gift. Yeah. I get chided it from time to time, but I I don't, I mean, I'm 55 years old. I don't think memory should be going yet. I don't know. Maybe it is, but like, who cares? Yeah. Like, what a treat. Yeah. Right? I was going to say it's St. Patrick's Day, but. Oh, yes. It, it is. is. Yes, it is. Yeah. What? There was nothing in this coffee. There could have been. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. It's a yes. sense. Oh, yeah. Mark, this is, uh, man, what a treat. And Shane, what a treat, man. You guys are just, you're awesome. I love what you're doing. Uh, with with your business and what you guys are up to in this podcast. And again, just thanks for the in, invite. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. We'll do it again real soon. Preston True, the best in the business. Good talking with you, buddy. Likewise, brother. Lamont. I have Lamont, the, I have the wrong coming? song up. Elizabeth. I, I have this other song. Elizabeth, I'm coming. I'm, <laughs> yes. There you go. <laughs> it, what was this? Was it his sister-in-law? Uh, the, oh, she'd uh, always walk in? Yeah. The lady that he, yeah, well, Aunt, Aunt Esther. Aunt yes. Esther. That's what Aunt I'm Esther. Oh. I can't remember what I did yesterday, but I can remember that. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, Quincy Jones wrote this, and he was the uh, producer for uh, Michael Jackson. He was talk about someone just up like on a mission in life. Yeah. Quincy Jones. How many people? Oh yeah. He, yeah. Make available to all of us. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Producing. Loved it. Yeah. Great ad. Good talking with you, buddy. Likewise. That was a good place to end. Good episode there, Shane. Wow. Good job, you guys. Is this what you guys do on Fridays?